Welcome back, Gumbo listeners. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and I am proud to bring you episode number 111 today. I have Rick Brady, founder and CTO of Burst, on, and he is an innovator, leader, and visionary with more than 30 years of information technology experience and also has a proven track record of taking on business and technology challenges and making high-stakes decisions. Rick is a serial entrepreneur and former CTO of the Citrix Systems, Zenax, and Zen Desktop Group, and former group architect with BNC Software. So today, Rick is CTO of Burst, where he is responsible for the company's technology strategy, R&D, engineering, and products. So Gumbo listeners, Rick provides insights on data migration into the cloud, the coming data revolution at the edge, and also walks us through some of the storage types to integrate for edge or in the cloud. So let's get right into the episode. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, Rick. How are you doing today? Doing great. How are you? I am doing fantastic. And also, Rick, thank you so much for appearing on the show. And I, I really appreciate that that you're taking time out of your day to talk to us a little bit about Burst. Why don't we we get started around, I guess, maybe a short overview of the past and also founding of Burst and, and kind of why you founded the company? Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. People always wonder why people uh, you know, uh, stop their good paying jobs to go do something crazy like start a new company, right? So in my case, I actually was semi-retired uh, after my stint with Citrix. And um, I like to tell people after about six months of fishing, the fish all start to look the same. So I just decided I couldn't, that, I, that couldn't be the rest of my life. So I decided to start doing some consulting, ended up with a uh, local startup. We were doing virtual desktops in the cloud. This was uh, probably circa 2010. And one of the things that I learned during that virtual desktop uh, experience, uh, doing hosted desktops on VMware, was that you really needed very high IOPS uh, storage, very, you know, pretty expensive storage uh, at that point to do virtual hosted desktops. And we were getting paid uh, by the user per month per desktop. So at 99 bucks a month per user, you got to sell a heck of a lot of, of user desktops to break even just on your storage bill, much less your entire data center bill. So anyway, ultimately what we figured out is that the more we sold, the more money we were going to lose. So that, anyway, that, that startup didn't fare well early on until it until they, and I told them we were probably going to have to build our own storage, which the founder really didn't want to do at that point. So Anyway, we parted ways, and it was kind of a painful experience after, you know, investing time. But I learned a very valuable lesson, which is storage is really the cornerstone of applications and application performance, especially virtual desktops. And so what I, my theory was that also at that point that storage was this very expensive uh, CapEx-oriented uh, hardware-integrated model, and I just felt like, hey, if VMware is strong enough for huge companies like Exxon to run their entire business on, uh, VMware must be strong enough to also be a storage server. So my theory was to use commodity hardware. This was in 2012. Commodity har Intel-based hardware 
like Supermicro or Dell or you know HP, whatever, with VMware and turn it into a subscription-based storage server. And you know, no no business plan ever survives first encounter with the market. So it turned out the customers didn't want a subscription-based storage thingy in those days because they all had capex budgets. So that didn't go too well. But I fortunately had the the vision to think, well, you know, I think there's this AWS thing is going to be something someday. And this is in 2012 before the cloud is what it is today. And so I had built uh, an AWS version of the product called SoftNAS early on. And it just started selling right off on our of our website. We were trying to push this VMware thing, and it wasn't going very well. And people started buying the AWS product right off our website. So it didn't take very many times for us to go, hmm, there's something here. So we called AWS, ended up getting on their AWS marketplace in late, I'd say, 2013 timeframe, and went to reInvent. And it was just incredible the amount of pent-up demand on AWS for uh, cloud NAS type storage. I think we had 18 months of uh, 20% month-over-month revenue growth uh, from that point forward. I mean, you know, it's a lot of small numbers, but still, it's, a, it's, it's huge. And we had no salespeople. It was all through the AWS marketplace, self-serve. Mm-hmm. So eventually, of course, we had to hire salespeople and you know, the rest of it and uh, turn it into a real business. But uh, yeah, then you know, we started attracting much larger enterprises and, and the company grew from there. And eventually, though, we decided we wanted to introduce our next product. And it didn't make sense for the company to continue to be called SoftNAS. So we rebranded last year as Burst uh, so we could turn ourselves into a multi-product company and get beyond just the SoftNAS product. Okay. That's a a pretty phenomenal story. And you have definitely flexed your muscle around, um, you know, how far you've come in the industry and some of the trends that you have seen as well, Rick. Just over the past eight years, there are a, a lot of, and especially due to the pandemic, there's a lot of people that are migrating data to the cloud. Now, walk us through, I guess, your view of how we got to where we are today. Well, I like to tell everybody that, you know, whatever the latest thing is, it's always uh, uh, the hype cycle always tries to tell you it's going to be the next big thing that's going to replace everything before it. The reality is everything that came before it is, is, is stuck in the archaeological dig of IT. There's layer upon layer of incrementalism that goes back decades, all the way back to the mainframe. And if people are still running their businesses on all that stuff, right? Yeah, they except, are. except maybe many computers. I think we finally have unplugged most of those. <laughs> but, you know, so the cloud is the next layer, okay, in that archaeological dig of IT stack. And so what customers are doing is migrating certain mission critical and certain other non-critical applications and data into the cloud to do different jobs that they have to do. And, you know, we've been a part of that. And there's obviously lots of other things that uh, we haven't been a part of that are moving to the cloud as well. But, uh, yeah, so I, I think the cloud is is one of the next big things along with the edge. You, you mentioned trends and, like, the next biggest thing that, you know, industry uh, tech giants and everyone's talking about. Uh, I remember when the edge was, like, this really big thing, and I guess it's back. Um, and that there's <laughs> there's a, a coming there's a data revolution uh, at the edge that's happening. So I'm not sure if the Gumbo listeners really know exactly what the edge is, but uh, if you don't mind, can you you know maybe explain to the listeners what is edge, why use the edge, and maybe go into some detail around you know things that are important um, when you decide to you know run your your systems on the edge. 
Sure. You know, the industry seems to go through these cycles of let's centralize, let's decentralize. Let's centralize again, well, now let's decentralize. <laughs> so I think we're in one of those swings, you know, where we've centralized everything, both in data, traditional data centers and in the clouds. And now uh, we realized, gosh, there's still a lot happening out at the remote parts of our business, you know, whether that's retail locations, remote offices, branch offices, uh, offshore rigs, uh, oil fields, uh, factories with robots, you know, running on the factory floors. So I would call that the old edge, okay, the, the legacy edge, okay, the, all the existing stuff that's been out there for, for a long time. Then there's the new edge, which most people would probably think of as maybe things like IoT, right? There's the industrial and commercial IoT, and of course the consumer IoT is in our, in our house, right? But, but the industrial IoT is a, a huge growing area where everything's getting tagged and automated and there's generating a tremendous amount of data. So then in, the, in that sense, the, the weak link with uh, IoT and with the edge today is the network. You just can't get all the data up into the central location the way that you'd probably like. So the trend is that we're going to see more and more of the compute and storage being pushed out to the edge to sort of create self-contained computing at the edge. And whether that edge is on a factory floor, on a vessel at, at sea, in a ship, mm -hmm. or, it's, or it's, it's in a 5G uh, networking uh, uh, system that's sitting on a pole every 500 feet or meters, if you're in Europe, you know, it, it, it's going to be, that's going to be the new edge. And you're going to see a lot of compute, a lot of AI machine learning, inferencing going on at the edge, and a lot of applications that we've t traditionally run centrally, we're going to see running more out, out towards the edge. And the only things connected back over the network will be uh, the pieces of data that need to be uh, accumulated and aggregated for central analytics across many edges, okay. you know, up in the central data mm -hmm. center or the cloud. Okay. I, I like that. Uh, old edge versus new edge. It's like old school versus new school from a music perspective. But you mentioned IoT and IoT used to be really hot. You, you would hear people talk about smart shirts and smart toasters and refrigerators and things like that. Um, <laughs> and I guess right. that, that was a boom for a while, but now you don't hear it as much. I guess around the growth of maybe IoT, is IoT still a thing? And you know, what, what's your perspective on that? Do you think IoT is growing? And also, what about some of the information around, because you mentioned oil rigs and different things that, you know, like remote offices and branch offices and all of those different things. Do, do you have any interesting stories about uh, anything that you've worked on from that perspective also? Okay. Well, yes, IoT is definitely still growing, but it's just one facet of the edge. Uh, you know, this the sensory data is coming in in near real time and you cannot keep all that data so you've got to process it and and aggregate it filter it and possibly throw much of it away other cases you're going to do what we used to do within the process control plants you're going to have to summarize it and take averages min max standard deviation average whatnot and you're going to have summary data is all you can afford to keep and that's even for the most important data because there's just too much of it right to keep it all uh, in terms of interesting use cases, so I think most of us, uh, including me, we, before we got deeper into the edge, thought of the edge to cloud or, you know, starts at the edge and moves to the central data center or the central cloud. Turns out there's so much data at the central data center and at the central uh, public clouds today and private clouds that actually needs to be used at the edge. 
So it's the opposite. So there's a lot of central data that needs to be used to configure and control and manage the edge. So it's, it's actually a two-way street, not just edge data flowing to the clouds and the data centers, but the opposite is also true. And it's very bi-directional as well. And you know, as an example, we, we have customers that in many of these remote locations, uh, they're going over satellite networks or cellular, uh, you know, packet radio. They're, they're, they've got what we call dirty networks or high latency packet lossy type networks. So it's very troublesome trying to move a lot of data across these networks. And so you either have to minimize the amount of that that you do, or you have to optimize somehow to get across those uh, troubled networks or dirty networks. So a lot of different issues depending on what you're trying to do. And, and, and like I said, I think there's a heavy edge model that we'll be moving more and more to. And I think the vendors will help drive that because they can't sell their hardware, their compute and storage as much into the central data centers anymore. So they're going to help drive this heavy edge and moving more of the compute to the edge uh, over time. Gotcha. And, and Rick, are you seeing more things around like Kubernetes and HA and clustering, yes. you know, th those types of things enter into the edge? Yeah, well, so <laughs> Kubernetes is the future, right? And it's it's one of those IT archaeological dig stories that Kubernetes is going to replace everything, right? <laughs> but, but reality is uh, over time, we're going to see fewer and fewer new virtual machine workloads, and we're going to see more and more container workloads managed by Kubernetes and clusters. And the reasons are that it's it's more efficient. You can get, it's much more dense, and you can get, you know, many more containers uh, probably 10 to 100 times more density than you can with virtual machines, right? So I think it's the, as the management infrastructure grows up the way that we saw with virtual machines, we're going to see Kubernetes just really take off. And yeah, I mean, that's it's the future. And because it, 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 it truly actually delivers for the first time things like Java that promised us you know, application portability, containers actually deliver portability and vendor-neutral independence. Right, yeah. It's... It's um, it's all the hype, you know, around around Kubernetes and containers in general. Um, and it, it seems to like ebb and flow. You know, at one point, a lot of people will start talking about it and then it dies down a little bit and then it comes back. Um, right. So that's right. I guess let's move on to more around like central processing. And, you know, there's there's a difference or maybe maybe there's not a difference. So still talking about the edge and also talking about the cloud. Can you give us, I guess, some your perspective on, I guess, how how do you manage like different files and like what you're actually protecting or what you're actually sending? How do you manage the the integration of all of that data that that you're sending, either in the cloud or that you have in the edge from a processing perspective? Well, with the heavy edge, you're going to keep most of that at the edge. It's going to get uh, you're going to acquire the data, you're going to process it, and you know fast or near real time at the edge and then some of the data may make its way back up into the cloud you know uh, some customers still are old school they want a quote single source of truth back at the cloud in the data center I guess it gives them comfort to know that they've got a copy of all their data right they can back it up they can they can they have it for archival and some are required from a regulatory compliance perspective to still do that so yeah that's true so i think there's a balance that every company has to to get to based on the use cases and you know their their particular needs around edge versus centralization and there's a lot of factors it's complicated because there's regulatory and 
uh, financial and other you know aspects of it from an investment perspective that also have to be taken into account as well. Okay, and you you mentioned compliance and regulations. Is there one in particular that that you you have more experience with, or that you have more products and solutions around, like compliance, um, socks, or uh, there are products uh, like ours that others out there that 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 are designed to do what we call data provenance, where there's an audit trail basically of all the data that's ingested and goes through flows through the data pipeline at the edge or in the cloud, so that you can go back and piece together what happened to this data you know, over time. Okay. And uh, from both an auditing perspective and maybe a compliance perspective. Yeah. The other thing is that in, in, with GDPR especially, sometimes the data can't leave a country. So Edge will, I think, continually uh, be a factor, especially in Europe, where you know you you, you may have Edge locations and central cloud locations, but they've all got to stay within country, right? They can't leave the, the current the country you're in. And also, uh, I'm just browsing on your website right now as well, and 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 also in my research. Um, I, I don't hear a lot of people mentioning a, a lot about, you know, network attached storage anymore, NAS. So is is that still hot? Are are people still like really buying into NAS systems and <laughs> the different protocols that are used to move the data, NFS and they are. SIFs, yeah. you know, from a Windows perspective? What, what are you seeing out there about well, around NAS? So when I, when I was at Citrix, we, we worked with uh, some of the largest, uh, you know, enterprises on the planet. And I can tell you these customers have anywhere from 3,000 to 10,000 or more applications that are all typically, you know, we think of them as legacy apps, Windows apps, but hey, that's what they run their business on and they can't afford to rewrite them all, right? So what are they going to do? Well, I mean, if you if you've got business value from the apps that still work, you're going to move you're going to lift and shift that app and move it up into the cloud. You still have to have a place to store the data in the databases and in the f- shared file storage because that's the way the apps were designed. So yeah, absolutely, NFS and Windows file shares or SIFs, SMD, absolutely still use, and that's what drives our business growth for SoftNAS is the the fact that there are many revenue generating uh, and business apps that uh, move into the cloud. They still require that file sharing and file storage. Okay. Great. It's it's good to see that um, you know from your perspective, it's still still a thing. I've moved away from it. Uh, it used to be you know something I focused on a lot because you know it was one of the products that I was supporting. Also, you know maybe you know since we're at the tail end of the pandemic, um, lots of vaccinations out there. As a result of the pandemic, did did you see an increase um, in in what what you were doing, or did you see a decrease? Or I would say during the pandemic, there were a lot of people that were trying to figure out what the heck to do, you know, for at least a quarter. But I would say we saw a pretty good uptick and acceleration post, you know, I would say in the back half of last year, and certainly this year, as we've begun emerging, you know, from the the worst of it. And yeah, I mean, more more and more uh, companies realize, hey, we're not going to be sending people into the data centers anymore. Uh, we got to get this stuff out of the data center and move it someplace where it's manageable remotely. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to deal with the infrastructure because we're tired of being in the data center business. So, you know, that's that's the right answer for some. It's not the right answer for everybody. Gotcha. And just also from a resilience perspective and disaster recovery, what what advice would you give to maybe one of the gumbo listeners right now? They are considering maybe swapping out or recreating 
or maybe changing vendors uh, from a disaster recovery perspective just to make sure that they have that availability um, that they need. Do you you have a philosophy around, you know, how it's supposed to be done nowadays since we have all the technology like artificial intelligence and machine learning and maybe automating some of that stuff? You know, I think those uh, AI machine learning is also pretty overhyped right now. Uh, you know, there's use cases for it. Uh, but I think from a DR perspective, uh, the very first thing you got to do is before you even worry about DR is having a, a good backup strategy. Okay. I mean, just, you, you always have to have that. B, you need to have a high availability strategy, more importantly, in the cloud. And, you, and you know, for example, AWS has what they call a well-architected review. Okay, you need to follow the best practices and build uh, your your web apps and your other uh, mobile mobile app uh, backends so that they're spread across two at least two availability zones. And Kubernetes helps with this because it'll automatically load balance across, let's say, two or three zones. Um, but you've got to spread the load, use load balancer, so that if you have an outage or an issue in one zone, everything just continues to keep running. And then, of course, you want to back up and or replicate the data into a different region. And if your data is stored in S3, object storage in AWS, for example, or Azure Blobs in, in uh, Azure, uh, you, can, you can have that replication done for you. So a lot of the DR in the cloud is sort of inherent. If you just configure it, it'll, it'll take care of itself for you, and you'll have those copies of your data for you. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Yeah, that's fundamentals, right? That's, that's the fundamentals. You know, make sure you have that backup strategy. Uh, high availability strategy, make sure, you know, in case something like ransomware happens to, you know, affect your business, because we're hearing more and more stories now every day where ransomware is actually something that's wreaking havoc on, on lots of businesses. What's, uh, just on that point, I'd just like to say that, um, so having snapshots, whether they're storage snapshots like we do with SoftNAS or whether they're uh, object snapshots, you know, you, you need some kind of snapshots for quick rollback. So if you do get uh, hit rans get ransomware or somebody accidentally deletes your data, which can also happen just human error, uh, you, you don't have to try and roll a backup and hope your backup was good. You can basically just drop back to the latest snapshot and, and, and roll forward and, and keep your business running. So snapshots are super important. Right. Yeah. And that that is true and they they're getting more sophisticated where they're actually starting to target the backup application so they're going to search and do the reconnaissance and um figure out okay can can we find you know the backup metadata in the database can we find that information on the network so we're going to encrypt that data too so they so it's not possible for them to recover the data well so I've got an answer for that one, and you, you've got to have separate accounts, whether it's in the same cloud or a different cloud. You've got to have a totally separate account, and you've got to replicate mm -hmm. uh, in a way that's write-only, if you will, almost like a worm drive. You've got to replicate the backups and your snapshots into that other account in such a way that they cannot access the backups or the DR copies in the other account. Right, yeah. Because if they break into one of the accounts, I mean, it's game over. But if you don't have a backup or a way to get back in a different account, I mean, you're in for a rough ride. Well, <laughs> or maybe maybe you're going to learn about buying Bitcoin. I don't know. <laughs> is, is that something, is that something you, you've dabbled into now, uh, Rick? What's that? Blockchain and, and Bitcoin. and No, uh, I, I've, kind of, I've tried to stay away from it. It's just there's so many things going on, and that's just one of the areas I've, I've, uh, I've steered clear of for the moment. Okay, not, not a problem at all. 
Um, yeah, we, we've covered quite a few topics and um, I, I wanted to also get your advice and your perspective on um, the, it seems the job market is picking up now. Um, like I said, mo mo a lot of people have received the vaccine and there's a lot of movement happening right now with, with job opportunities, et cetera. What, what advice would you give a gumbo listener who is looking to uh, maybe up-level their skills within the backup, recovery, storage, data protection industry? Uh, learn the cloud. Get certified on the cloud, the, the cloud or clouds that you intend to, uh, to work on. If it's AWS, get your AWS certifications. Uh, because when you have those certs, your, your credibility goes up with uh, potential employers. And, uh, and by the way, these employers need those certs in order to maintain a lot of their, mm. uh, their own certifications. Right. They're level, okay, with, with these cloud platform vendors. So having certifications can, can really differentiate you as an employee um, you know, for, for the employers. And it just and it adds a degree of independent credibility, you know, that sets you apart. So that's that's what I would focus on. And it, okay. And is is there a specific method that that you recommend for for that certification training, like maybe online or website or something? I'd say it's online, and and the, those the, you got, you have to choose the certification that best fits the role that you're you know going after. If you're a solution architect, there's going to be an SA you know, type of, of a certification. If you're an IT generalist, there's probably a different level of cert that you need. Okay, great. Well, the, the final gumbo question is, um, and you've already kind of given us a, a crystal ball answer. Like, um, what, what does Rick see um, in, in the short term and maybe the next year or two just around protecting data and, you know, making sure that data is, you know, protected in the cloud? Well, I see... Um, the feature sets are all there. Uh, customers need to take advantage of them. And, and I'd say the biggest challenge is customers, uh, when they come into the cloud, I, and I don't know why, but they, they seem to forget about good uh, data hygiene like they did on-prem. And they, they don't pay as much attention to backups. They don't think about snapshots. They don't think about the DR the way that they should. Some do, but it's surprising how many overlook the basic blocking and tackling and they just assume that well my data's in the cloud it must be safe it's like no it's not safe unless you make it safe right hmm. <laughs> so that i'd say that's right. probably the best piece of advice there and true. i'd say that if you know if you're in the application isv or application you know devops world uh, you better be boning up on Kubernetes and containers because that's the future. Got it. And there's, there's a shared responsibility model that, you know, when you move to the cloud, you are responsible for your data and the cloud vendors are responsible for, you know, the infrastructure and, you know, everything, the compute network that everything runs on. So some people get that confused. But just to close us out, Rick, do you do you mind maybe providing a Twitter handle or any other social media that you uh, maybe Gumbo listeners can reach out and maybe research the company on? Yeah, I would I would just go to our website. Everything's there. www.burst.buurst.com. OK, well, it's been a pleasure having you on the Gumbo. Thank you so much for, for the insights you. and you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for having us.
Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.